Welcome to The Lowdown, a podcast of news and ideas from the Columbia Alumni Association. On July 30th, 2015, the United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution that targets the global problem of wildlife trafficking, calling on all 193 UN member states to take on a series of actions to, quote, prevent, combat, and eradicate the illegal trade in wildlife. Adopted by consensus, the resolution recognizes growing global concern over widespread poaching and trafficking, particularly of elephants and rhinos. To address the problem facing wildlife today, the Columbia University Club held a panel discussion with three ambassadors to the UN from Botswana, Germany, and Vietnam. In this episode, you're going to hear some excerpts from that discussion. First up is Ambassador Charles Twahe, who is the permanent representative of Botswana to the United Nations. But first, here's just a little bit of background on Botswana's wildlife conservation abilities. Botswana has almost one-third of Africa's elephant population, and it has more elephants than any other country in the world. Botswana also testified at a landmark hearing in 2014, led by the New York State Assembly, on the devastating impact that illegal trade is having on wildlife population. The hearing led to legislation by the Assembly banning all sale of ivory in the state, and other states in the U.S. have been following suit. Considering all of this, Ambassador Twahi was asked how Botswana was able to achieve what it achieved in terms of wildlife conservation. You need political leadership and commitment. We are fortunate in Botswana in that uh, we have a president who is personally committed to conservation and wildlife, uh, sustainable utilization of our wildlife resource. And there has also been a set of policies which were deliberately aimed at protecting our wildlife. Um, We have a very aggressive shoot-to-kill policy towards poachers. And as a result, poachers have now come to realize that uh, illegal hunting and poaching in Botswana is a very risky business. We have recently witnessed a significant decline in poaching activity in our country because of that. Now... Our wildlife um, rangers are armed, and deliberately so, in order to confront the poachers, because the poachers themselves are very heavily armed in most cases, and they are ruthless. And this has been very, very helpful. So you really need political leadership at the level of each country. You also need leadership at the level of the international community. The resolution which was adopted by the General Assembly this year provides a very powerful moral tool for mobilizing the international community around the whole issue of wildlife conservation. Because of the massive scale of this illegal trade and illegal activities, in certain parts of Africa, you have had an extinction of wildlife species. You don't find them anymore. And even where there are still species of wildlife, the numbers have gone down so significantly such that it has a bearing basically on what the efforts that are being made to improve livelihoods and quality of life of of the people. You need to bring the people also as part of the solution. 
local communities should appreciate the value of wildlife and they must like we have done in Botswana local communities have been made to appreciate that poachers are a threat to their own livelihoods and to themselves as well to the local communities such that there is an aversion towards uh, poaching and local communities now uh, appreciate the need to conserve wildlife because they can link that directly to uh, their own improved quality of life and uh, sustainable livelihoods. More needs to be done by way of public education, by way of raising awareness of the local community as well to, to, to appreciate the value of wildlife, why they need to uh, utilize their wildlife uh, sustainably. Minister Councillor and Deputy Permanent Representative of Vietnam, Do Hung Viet, was up next. The question posed to him, what has Vietnam done to combat illegal wildlife trade? We have been able to set up a very strong and robust legal framework. We have laws to protect the uh, biodiversity, law to protect the forest uh, of the country, uh, and also we are trying to enforce them uh, very strongly. Um, our uh, we have set up a wildlife enforcement network uh, comprising of uh, the customs, the rangers, uh, the uh, border guards, the police. We have set up a separate uh, environment police uh, force for these activities. And uh, a lot have been achieved so far. Uh, between 2010 and now, for example, about 30 to 40 tons of uh, ivory and rhino horns have been arrested and confiscated. And uh, in the year to, uh, 2014 alone, um, about nine tons of ivory and rhino horns were arrested. So that shows both the amount of trade that goes through the country, but also the efforts that the government is putting in uh, to, to deal with the problem. Now, one of the challenges that we have in this regard is that our rangers are not yet well-equipped, as in Botswana, and we don't have a shoot-to-kill um, uh, policy as yet. But uh, that is one of the things that we are considering, uh, really to arm, uh, better arm our rangers, to uh, build the capacity of our police, our rangers, our uh, border guards, so that they are able to identify these networks of crimes, identify the, um, the, the wildlife uh, specimens, just to simply recognize that this is something that is prohibited, so that they can um, ar make arrests and uh, also prosecute. Uh, also, you know, the offenses relating to crime, uh, wildlife uh, crimes, are still punishable uh, in a very light way in our uh, penal code. So it's becoming more profitable and less risk for those in this business than, for example, to do the same uh, but in drugs, for example. So that is another area that we are looking into in order to um, uh, better deal with this particular problem. One other extremely important uh, aspect that we see in Vietnam is to reduce the demand. Uh, somehow, there is in the traditional medicine of China, Vietnam, and I guess in many other Asian countries, that rhino horns can cure anything from a fever to cancer uh, to any disease. So that 
mentality and that uh, wrong understanding of the effects that rhino horns and many other wildlife can have is uh, simply creating a, a very strong demand for these illicit um, uh, products. So we are having campaigns uh, on zero buying, uh, zeroing buying uh, of uh, these wildlife products in order to uh, help you know, reduce the, the demand. So, what can the UN do more effectively to fight illicit wildlife trafficking? Answering that question is Ambassador Heiko Toms, Deputy Permanent Representative of Germany. Well, let me start by saying that uh, we have done a lot. In the last few years, uh, um, a lot of things have happened since uh, we came up with this idea in 2011-12. It's a very good sign that in 2014, um, uh, the... uh, threat posed by the militia who do uh, the um, uh, poaching has been recognized in two Security Council resolutions on Democratic uh, Republic uh, of uh, Congo and uh, what else was it, I think, uh, and the Central African Republic, right? Um, We will be dealing um, this month uh, in the Security Council again um, with the connection between small arm trade and uh, people have been saying small arms are the uh, weapons uh, of mass destructions of the poor man. And they are really weapons of mass destruction because so many people are being killed by small arms. And there's, um, there's a very strong connection between I mean, uh, trafficking of small arms and uh, illegal wildlife trafficking. And this will be addressed on the 30th November um, uh, by Angola and Lithuania uh, in the Security Council, which is also uh, very good. Mm-hmm. Then we have come up with a resolution uh, in uh, July. It was a hard uh, piece of work. It wasn't perfect. Uh, we would have liked to see more, but we will not let go. Uh, We will continue working on it. And uh, one of the um, positive elements of this resolution is uh, that uh, the Secretary General has been asked to come up with proposals on how to um, continue working on this uh, topic. And he will come out with a report in spring. And uh, whatever his proposals may be, we have a pretty clear idea what they may be. Mm-hmm. We will then uh, take up these proposals and uh, take this a step or two further. This is uh, what we have in mind now. So very concrete proposals because we need a, a, a more, um, I mean a stronger legal framework still. Uh, we need uh, to um, have more awareness raising. We also need to engage more countries to uh, do what countries like Botswana and Vietnam have done. Even with all that Botswana has been able to accomplish, poaching is escalating in southern Africa and around Botswana. So, how does Ambassador Twahe see Botswana and the region responding to this escalation? There has been um, enthusiasm at the level of the region, the southern African region, the SADC region, where Botswana is located, mainly because uh, the authorities link wildlife conservation with the sustainable livelihoods of the people. It is such an important resource that, um, just to give you an example, a country like Botswana is physically the size of the state of Texas. That gives you uh, a clear impression of how big the country is. 30% of the total land area of the country (coughs) has been demarcated into forest reserves wildlife management areas and national parks. And that's, that 30% of the total land area of the country demonstrates the level of commitment that the country has towards wildlife. So at the level of the region, Botswana 
and the countries around the region have really uh, have demonstrated uh, that they attach a lot of importance to wildlife conservation. One of the problems we have experienced at the level of the region is there has been a clear demonstration of the fact that some of the wildlife species have gone, dis have gone uh, extinct. In particular, the rhino, yeah. both the white and the black rhino. And now, because of uh, conservation efforts and the leadership that Botswana has shown, at the moment, we are naturing a rhino species from countries around the region, from South Africa, from Zimbabwe, and from Botswana. We have a rhino sanctuary where we are trying to nature these species. So the future is really bright as far as the region is concerned on wildlife conservation, simply because governments are able to link wildlife conservation to efforts to raise the living standards of the people to really sustain the livelihoods of uh, the people. So now, let's move away from Africa for a moment and consider what are the key challenges that Vietnam faces in addressing the illegal wildlife trade? The, the first extremely important factor, I think, uh, challenge, I think, is how to maintain the level of attention and commitment from the government um, on to, to address this issue. Uh, like um, my colleague from uh, Germany mentioned, you know, people have the tendency initially when we talk about this issue to say, why this? We have so many important, other important issues to deal with, and that is for Germany. Now for Vietnam, uh, people would think, well, poverty reduction is more important. Uh, developing our industries are more important. But I think the, our uh, engagement at the international level, what the UN has been doing, what civil society has been doing in the country, has been raising the level of understanding and engagement of the government. So I think that uh, must continue to, to um, um, receive the attention so that we can continue with what we are doing uh, well at the moment. The second uh, major challenge, I guess, is uh, our capacity and uh, the resources that we have for this uh, very important fight. Um, I mentioned earlier the capacity of our rangers, uh, of our police, uh, law enforcement in general, the capacity of um, those that are involved in uh, you know, solving the aftermath of uh, any case, uh, including, for example, how we would treat the uh, living specimens that we uh, confiscate. Uh, we don't have the luxury of having sanctuaries. Uh, you know, I take my daughter to, to the Bronx Zoo, the Central Zoo, and mm -hmm. I just think to myself, you know, when will Vietnam be able to have the same uh, zoo for public viewing? Uh, not, not to mention, you know, have separate major sanctuaries for wildlife. So those are the things I think um, uh, extremely important uh, that, that we will need to focus uh, on. Now, in terms of uh, the factors uh, that would help this process, uh, I think partnership uh, would, would be most important. Um, this is not a problem that Vietnam or Botswana or Germany can deal with ourselves. Uh, I mentioned that Vietnam is a country of, of origin, of uh, destination, but also a transit country. Uh, we need to work with countries where those uh, wildlife specimens come from mm -hmm. 
and we need the support from countries that have the capacity to support us uh, in building the capacity for our uh, law enforcement, for example. Um, and uh, you know, the hope that we have with the UN uh, resolution and with so much attention that we are getting to this uh, important issue is that we will have uh, more support uh, from the civil society, from uh, international organizations, uh, including the UN, you know, how this resolution will trickle down to the funds and programs, the specialized agencies of the UN, and how will they will be able to support us at the country level, uh, I think would, would be very important. Um, just one final point uh, on, on partnership. Um, you know, we have been um, participating in the, in the range of international conferences, the most recent in Botswana, and uh, Vietnam will be hosting uh, the next um, international conference on combating illegal uh, wildlife trade uh, in Hanoi in uh, uh, November or December next year. So uh, I hope that we will have another good conference mm -hmm. and once again express our commitment and um, agree on the more concrete actions that we can take uh, in this partnership. Something somewhat surprising came out of the Q&A for this discussion. An audience member suggested that there might be a reason to defend poachers, saying that some poachers kill endangered species to feed their family. The argument here is that some poachers kill not out of malice or greed, but out of survival. So are these poachers treated differently from more prolific poachers? Or is it all the same in the eyes of the government? If it's a, a matter of someone really wanting to put food on the table. And we do have people in our country that are really below subsistence level, uh, below the poverty uh, datum line. And um, for them really, and most of these are communities that are hunt with bow and arrow and that sort of thing. The courts are very sympathetic in those kind of situations. Because in most cases, those sort of traditional hunters, bow and arrow and hunters, they don't kill a massive number of wildlife. They just kill one, one, one species of wild or one, one animal just to really to feed their families. We distinguish this from commercial poachers. Commercial poachers really go all out to, to, to slaughtering a whole range of, of wildlife. And we wish we could have active societies like the ones we have in this country on prevention of cruelty to animals. Because what we do see in certain instances, you find a whole head of elephant or whatever having lost their tusks. You know, these people have equipment to be able to just cut off horns of rhinos, the tusks of elephants, and you find the poor animals moving in the bush without, without their horns. You see, it's really very cruel. Because those sort of poachers, who I call commercial poachers, they have equipment, they have the capacity to cause destruction. And the law is ruthless on them. So we make a distinction between a subsistence, a subsistence poacher, who in most cases in our country, these are bushmen, 
They just hunt wildlife in order to have, um, to feed their families for the night, for dinner. But a commercial poacher is ruthless. He has the capacity, he has the equipment to cause a lot more harm to the ecosystem. They, 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 they are armed. They have um, the, um, the, the equipment to really cause the kind of damage that um, would be so much harm to the country. So some of our countries are dependent on ecotourism as a source of um, foreign exchange. In Botswana, our tourism ranks uh, second after diamonds in terms of supporting the country's economy. So you can see how significant our ecotourism is in terms of uh, supporting the economy of the country. So we make a distinction between um, commercial poachers and uh, subsistence poachers. As the courts and law enforcement came up frequently in the talk, an audience member closed out the discussion by asking how government corruption can affect conservation efforts, specifically in Africa. Corrupt government officials add on to the problem. And sometimes you find uh, weak institutions, weak, um, and poachers take advantage of those weak institutions to carry out their illicit trade. But corruption is indeed at the center of the difficulties uh, associated with uh, illegal trade and, and, and poaching. But I must say, Botswana is, is described as one of the least, if not the least, corrupt country in Africa. It's simply because there is zero tolerance for corruption in our country. So our wildlife rangers, our police, immigration, there is absolutely no corruption amongst public officials. But talking generally about Africa, corruption is a very serious problem. And it's, it adds on to the illegal trade and the poaching problem. Um, if you have corrupt officials, of course, you make it easy for poachers and people involved in illegal trade and uh, in wildlife to carry out their business. This podcast was produced by the Columbia Alumni Association. Columbia University is a mecca of great ideas and one of the world's greatest cities. And with over 320,000 Columbia alumni who are leaders in every field imaginable and spread across the world, the Columbia Alumni Association brings you the latest musings, updates, and insights from Columbia University. Learn more about the Columbia Alumni Association at alumni.columbia.edu. And to get even more news and ideas from Columbia, check out the lowdown.alumni.columbia.edu.